Coming up, do I do I need to keep doing the voice? Oh, she she said I can stop. Oh, that would have been good to know like ten minutes ago. That's okay. All right. Next we have my lovely, beautiful wife, Miss Taylor, coming up, and she is going to be bringing a word. She's going to be on fire, bringing a word that I think is going to speak to all of you if you will open your hearts and listen and receive the word that God has brought her. Are you ready to preach? I'm ready. She's been ready for a little while. I've been, Let's go. I've been watching her as she's been preparing, like, like kind of creepily, like, And it's really, really good stuff, so you're not going to want to miss it. Can I, can I come up here? I thought I was preaching with you. Okay. Oh. <laughs> thanks, guys. Okay, <laughs> thanks. Love you. <laughs> Once he gets going, he gets going, and it's hilarious. Good job on using your voice. Okay. So, that was so much fun. My name is Taylor, and I'm our kids director here at church, if you don't know me. And one of the things that I love to do is to have fun. So I'm so excited and thankful that we were able to kick that off with some fun. But in the beginning, I want you guys to stand up. Okay. What? We're standing up. I'm a kids director. Yes, you're standing up. Okay. We're going to do something. Um, First of all, I want you to know that real life right now, if your kids fall asleep, I have them stand up, sit down, do the stanky leg, whatever they do to not fall asleep. So don't be falling asleep on me. Okay. So I want you guys this morning to sit down. If This has been you. Any of these things that I'm saying right now have been you. Sit down if Satan has attacked your marriage this morning. Maybe like arguments, grumpy. I wouldn't be necessarily sitting down yet. Had a pretty good morning. Sit down if Satan has attacked your parenting this morning. Maybe your kids are grumpy. Um, They didn't eat their food, whatever that looks like. You're still having a great morning. Good. Rock on for you. Sit down if Satan has crept into your week at all this week. Right? Oh, okay. Okay. I had a few more, but, and the last one I was going to say is if you're still standing, you're a liar. Mine this morning was literally um, how Satan got to me was an old woman and road rage. And I was like, Lord Jesus, I am preaching this morning. Please take it. Okay. So the whole point is we're talking a little bit about Satan today, but we're in this wilderness series, and yes, it involves the devil, but I want to bring more light to God more than Satan when you're in this season. So I want to share a story. Um, some of you know this story, but I'm married to my husband, David, who was just up here with his little radio voice, and we've been married for five and a half years, which is absolutely crazy. And I want to share you guys this story of, I guess, how we met or more so how he pursued me, slash stalked me, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so I had known, David doesn't know I'm telling a story. I don't even know where he's at. I had known him, oh hi, um, in high school. I knew of him. And one day, I got this Facebook message from David Little. And he was like, hey, you should come to my church. And I was like, thanks, already going to church, love Jesus, have my own church. And he's like, nope, you should really come. And he asked me and asked me and asked me. And I was like, dude, get a grip on yourself. Sorry, I love you. This is all of love. So I ended up going to church, and it took him probably about 60 seconds to find me. He was there. And I remember I ended up loving the church, so it was a complete God thing. But I went, and probably within a few days... (laughs) David sat me down, 
And he was like, so basically he asked me out on a date and I did that thing of like what Christian women do of like, you're my brother in Christ. <laughs> and it eventually turned into, he sat me down in almost every room at this church. David, do you remember this? He sat me down like in the baby's room, in the coffee room, in the older kid's room. And each time was like, asked me out on a date. And I was like, no, like I'm good, you know? And it wasn't even that like I was repelled by him. It was just that I didn't, sorry it wasn't that it was just that I like wasn't into dating at that time I was like you know what I'm solid like I'm good so this was like probably six months of him pursuing me and one day um we were serving our church painting our walls he always asked me to come help him paint and um paint the walls okay I'm sure you want to paint my wall <laughs> to, we're married it's fine we're married Okay, so we would always be like, come and help me at church. And I was like, sorry, too far. Um, I'm getting hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so one day I was helping literally paint a wall. And um, I remember that came in and I was really discouraged. I was working full-time job, living with my sister, basically helping nanny my niece, um, going to school, all this stuff. And I came in. And I had gotten pulled over by a cop because my headlight was out. So I walked in and I told him, um, I was like, yeah, my headlight's out. I don't know what to do. I don't know anything about that stuff. So continue painting the hallway walls. And I remember the color that we painted it and everything. And we were there until midnight. And um, I remember he came back. He didn't even say anything. I walked out and he chucked me my keys. And I was like, first of all, how do you have my keys? That's creepy. But I got in my car, started it. And he had went to Walmart or wherever you went, go to buy headlights, I don't know, and found the exact headlight and replaced it for me. And I didn't even ask him. And it was that moment, six years, six years, six months later, we were engaged and a year later to the day that we were married. And it took something, it took something so simple for him to do without even being asked for me to recognize him. And last week, I actually woke up in the middle of the night and I just thought, wow, isn't that like God? We, he pursues us, he pursues us, he pursues us, and we can say no to him and no to him and no to him, but God does one thing that you didn't even ask for that is so incredible that you look up and say there has to be a God. And I just think that even in these seasons of wilderness, whatever that looks like for you, God still pursues you in that season. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much just for this church and for the celebration to be able to come. God, just having this church for three years is just so incredible. Guys, thank you so much for this series, this wilderness series. I pray right now if anyone is going through anything, God, that um, whether it's tangible, whether, whether it's seen or unseen, Lord, that you know our hearts, you know our seasons, God. I just pray that we can leave here this morning, God, knowing more of who you are, that you don't leave us, that you don't abandon us in our season, God. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 3, 13, verse 17. So I'm going to read it first. Um, this is the baptism of Jesus. Verse 13, it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. 
So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed and baptized him. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened up. And I want to say, when the heavens open up, something happens. Because the next time heavens open, the heavens open up, how many of you know that the trumpets will be sounding? So that alone is such a massive thing. The Bible says the heavens opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So I'm going to pause right there. Jesus is getting baptized. This is basically the beginning of his ministry. And I'd like to challenge you guys before I continue on reading. If you're like me, I've read Jesus' baptism and when he goes into the wilderness as two separate events. I've always known the stories. Yes, he gets baptized. Yes, he's tempted. But today, I would like you guys to think that maybe they're not separate events, but that they happen immediately after one another. So that's how we need to look at these stories. So let's continue. After Jesus was baptized, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scripture says, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus, who is human, like you and me, went from the water to the wilderness. The water to the wilderness. The water to the wilderness. It means that Jesus went from life is great to an oh crap moment. It's kind of like an emotional whiplash. And I think, okay, if that happened to Jesus, the most perfect person, then clearly that can happen to us. One moment he was in comfort and the next he was in conflict. One moment he was in heaven. Heaven literally came down and the next he was in hell. And how is it that on Sunday we can experience God's power, but on Monday the devil's attacking what we heard on Sunday because that's life. And how many of you know that I've had people say this to me. It's kind of like the why do bad things happen to good people. They say, well, you're a Christian. Life is supposed to be easy because for some reason people think that. And I'm like, okay, first of all, look at Jesus' life. Was that easy? No, he died on the cross. And if you really think that's not true, then take a look at this story. Point them to this story. That was the beginning of his ministry, and he was tempted right away. People think that Christianity is such an easy and simple thing and should be free-flowing, but the Bible doesn't promise that. But what the Bible does promise is his word says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And I love that the word forsake means to abandon. God will never abandon you. He will never abandon you when life goes your way and you want to celebrate. He will never abandon you when you're a season of celebration. He will never abandon you when you're in a season that you hate your job and you don't know what to do next. He will never abandon you when you're depressed or lonely. He will never abandon you when maybe you don't feel like a good enough mom. He will never abandon you when you've lost someone and it hurts. He will never abandon you when you have the healing that doesn't come right away. He will never abandon you 
when you want to start a family and it's not happening. Abandonment is not in God's DNA. He will never leave you. And out of anything that I've learned in my wilderness season, it's that God has not left me. When people step into a wilderness season, they automatically chuck it up to, and I'm, I'm one who <laughs> would say this. I always thought, oh, that's just Satan. Like, he's a pesky little booger, you know? He's just annoying, right? Okay, something happens. You say, yeah, like, it's just Satan. Like, yes, he is here to kill and to still, and to, I can't even talk, kill, steal, and destroy but how about we stop giving Satan all the credit in our life story and give more credit to the one who created our life in the first place? Yes, pray against Satan, but also when you're so focused on him and you think that everything's coming from him, then you're not going to be able to see God in that season because it goes back to God doesn't abandon you. Wilderness will come, and when it comes, what are you focusing on more? And I want to tell you two quick things about Satan. That's all the credit that he gets. And um, this story is actually really disgusting. But I heard this on Animal Planet Story, and I wanted to share it with you. And it goes along with what I'm saying. But um, So first of all, on kids, the most popular story, which I don't know why, your kids always love creation. Adam and Eve, the apple, the snake. And it's like the most common story, but I love it. So... You know, as a kids director, we talk about that story, and most kids think of Satan as a snake. So, thus, Animal Planet. Heard this story about this lady who had a pet snake, which, first of all, ew, no thank you. Um, and let alone, uh, it slept in her bedroom, double no thank you. So, she goes to the vet, and it's a true story. She goes to the vet, and she's like, my snake hasn't eaten in days. I think it's dying. Can you figure out, like, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with the snake? So... The vet goes, okay, um, you've been feeding him, yes, but he hasn't been eating, okay. Um, let me ask you a question. Has your snake been laying in bed with you? Yes, he's been laying in bed with me. It's exactly what he's been doing. Okay, let me ask you another question. Has your snake been lying right along with your body? Yes, how did you know that? My snake hasn't been eating any food, but it's been sleeping with me. Does he usually sleep with you every once in a while? I'll leave the door open. Okay, well, I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> good news is your snake is not dying. The bad news is the snake is lining up along with your body because it's trying to size you up because he wants to eat you. True story. Disgusting. I have friends in here, well, they're in kids' room, that they actually love snakes. Oh, no, nope, 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 nope. Okay, this is a true story. This snake wanted to size up its owner to eat it. And then I think of Satan. He wants to size us up. And when I think of snakes, I don't know if any of you guys um, know this. You know that in the beginning of creation, there was a snake. We know that. But do we know this? In Genesis, it says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly. Groveling in the dust as long as you live, it will cause hostility between you and women. Duh. And between your offspring and her offspring. Duh. I love this part, though. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Who is he? That's God. 
snake or the devil can strike your heel. And yes, it's annoying. Yes, it might hurt. Yes, you might be in a wilderness season. And it's not fun. It's not comfortable. But the Bible from the very beginning says that God will triumph over Satan. It says that from the beginning. And if you really want to get into it, look at the end of Revelation. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they'll be tormented day and night forever. So yes, size me up, Satan. But here's the thing. From the beginning in Genesis, it already says the ending. We already know the ending for Satan. And I just love that. So we have to stop giving Satan all the credit when we're going through our wilderness season. Don't assume just because you're going through a bad season that it's all from him because God is still in it with you. We aren't fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory because we know we have already won in our season. And I heard this the other day, and I want to read it because it was so powerful. The Holy Spirit will only lead you into the wilderness when there's a promise laying on the other side. Amen. He doesn't lead you in the wilderness to stay. He leads you into the wilderness to obtain a measure of strength and victory so that when you get to the promised land, you have the integrity to stay there. I just love that. And I wanted to share something else with you guys. Anytime I, I have a message, whether it's in here or um, I hear a message on our podcast, I, I constantly think of our kids. And yes, I feel like that's in my DNA. But as I was sitting here writing this message, I want to say, whatever we preach in here, we preach in there too. Whatever's important in here is just as important in there. I promise you, we don't sugarcoat anything. And I love that. So as I'm writing this message, I was thinking how sometimes I think that we can count our kids out when we sit in here as adults. Specifically for this series, I think sometimes parents or adults, and I'm guilty of it too, and I have to remind myself, we think that wilderness seasons are only for bigger kids or adults. Like, we go through stuff. But I'm here to tell you that that is completely wrong. And I want to share some of the things that I've heard, because the same God that created you is the same God that created them. If he created you with emotions, he created them with emotions too, okay? I've had a kid look at me in the eye and say that he was sad because he wanted to see his dad and his dad didn't want to see him anymore. I've had a kid look at me in the eye and say that he was sad because he didn't understand why his uncle committed suicide. I've had a kid look at me and say he was a little sad and scared because he didn't want to get his house broken into again. I've had a little girl call me recently, two years later, because she was so sad that her granny died. I think often, as adults, we think that we're the only ones to go through stuff, but that's not true. And they're the most common thing that I have to bring and teach them is joy. So how do we help our kids with this? Three points. And this is for you too. The first one is the word is your weapon. 
and to teach the kids this. And if we look, if we go back in Matthew, when Jesus was tempted, you notice that each response, when Satan was like, well, try this, it says, no, the scripture says, and Jesus repeats back the word. The second tempt was he told Jesus to jump off a cliff. He said he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so they won't even hurt a foot on a stone. And Jesus responds, the scripture also says you must not test the Lord. I love that Jesus always responds with scripture. The word is your weapon. And then if all else fails, which I love this about Jesus because I have this saying too, The last time, uh, Jesus says, he responds with his word, but he also says, I love that there's one version, a message version. He says, beat it, Satan. He rebukes him. That's when I say, put on your stretchy pants and jump kick Satan in the face. If all else fails, use your word, but rebuke Satan. And I love that because sometimes in your season, I didn't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? It is written what to do. It is written what to say. It is written how you feel. Open up God's word and know his word. Number two, know where your help comes from. I was just talking to one of my family members about this yesterday. The Bible says that angels came and ministered to Jesus. And rest assured that if Jesus needed help, so do we. The most perfect person on this planet needed ministered to, then surely so do we. And I think it's such a pride thing because when I was going loss after loss after loss, I just thought, okay, I can handle this. I'm fine. I'm going to continue. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to continue to do all these things. But you know what I told this person yesterday? I looked at her and I said, I wish I would have gotten help back then. Well, my one regret, know where your helps come from. Verse 17, it says, And the voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Another version says, This is my son chosen and marked by my love. This is my son chosen and marked by my love. You are his son chosen and marked by his love. You are his daughter chosen and marked by his love. You are his child chosen and marked by his love. No where your help comes from, because it comes from a father who cares. My third point, God is still in it. We talked earlier about not counting him out. And this one, this point is a big one for me. And um, I know some of you, well, most of you I've talked about before, but the last few years um, and two years, less than two year time span, we have lost five people. And one of them um, coming out of me. And I want to share with you each person that we lost and how God was still in it. And this is something that I've only realized the last few weeks. The first one was, we watched my grandma I've talked about this. We watched my grandma passed away in the hospital. And when I say that's the worst thing, to physically watch someone die, it's the worst thing. To watch them, like, suffer for their breathing. 
to watch their eyes flicker, to watch them in pain, to see a tear fall down her face because I knew that she could hear me still. I was stuck and caught by grief, but now looking back at it, I see that at her funeral, I did her eulogy that was nothing about Jesus, and I had family members and people in there who blatantly outright said that they don't believe in God. God was still in it. He was in her funeral, being able to share Jesus with people. Five weeks later, we woke up to another phone call that my grandpa had passed away. And talk about, like, a complete whirlwind. <laughs> I don't like phone calls in the middle of the night, so nobody ever called me in the middle of the night anymore. It's like, ooh, I have panic attack. Um, so we woke up, we went, saw my grandpa. It was hard. Now looking back at it, one day later, I was new this, but I didn't really see it. One day later, my cousin got married. I remember at the time it was really hard to go from grief to joy. But looking at it, like what a celebration of life from grief to joy. And God was still in it. The third one was David's grandma. That one, Jesus was all over it. We were like singing hymnals, worshiping Jesus. It was great. People got saved at that one. It was awesome. That was a hard one to, uh, to know that God was still in it. One of the hardest ones, out of all four of them, was this May um, when my aunt surprisingly passed away, but she was put into a medical-induced coma for almost a week. And again, kind of like that same feeling of having to sit there, having to watch someone breathe, knowing that their body's here, but their spirit isn't, was really hard. But here's how God was still in it. The day a week later that we pulled the plug, I remember I was sitting out in the hallway, just staring. We had worship music going. And, I mean, the second we pulled the plugs off of my Aunt Kim, lady three doors down starts screaming, I don't want to die. Screaming it, that she didn't want to die. And I looked at David, and I said, we have to go. There's nothing in me that even hesitated. And I didn't know these people, and I walked in, and um, there was a lady and her husband, and I said, I'm so sorry, you know, we're three doors down, and I just heard you, and you said you didn't want to die, and I, can I just ask you what's going on? And she said, somehow, um, she was having heart failure, but her heart was like, she had this machine that was outside of her body, and she basically said that if she didn't get a heart transplant within days, that she would die. And she was terrified. I've never seen a look on someone's face, and I'll never forget it. So I looked at her, and I said, okay, can I ask you a question? Do you know Jesus? And her response was, I could know him better. So we sat there that day, three doors down. As my aunt is losing her life, someone else gained the life. We prayed. She accepted Jesus. And I just thought, wow, how good is God that he shows up like that in the middle of a hurtful season, that that is God, that he doesn't abandon you. And the last one, the one that made me realize often our wilderness 
isn't an action, but it's the aftermath of something. And before I talk about it, I just think if we look at the story of Jesus' baptism in the wilderness season that he was in, Jesus' baptism was the beginning of his ministry. It was the start of his ministry. And I think it's so ironic that immediately he was tempted by the devil and he hadn't even started yet. Satan was trying to stop something before Jesus even started it. And I just remember, this was a few weeks ago as I was digging into this. And I told my friend and I said, you know what? Satan likes to stop something before it's started. If you're starting a business, expect an attack. If you're starting a new phase in your life, expect an attack. If you're starting, um, maybe you're going to college and you don't know what to do, expect an attack. If you're starting a family, expect an attack. Satan wants to kill what you haven't even started yet. Now do you know that all wildernesses are not created equal. What tempts you when you're single doesn't tempt you when you're married. What tempted me when I was childless might not tempt me when I have a baby someday. So two years ago, almost close to the day, we had a miscarriage um, pretty early on, and it was on Thanksgiving. And obviously it's yet another death in the middle of deaths, and... I think for me, it wasn't even just like, it was the loss of a child that's hard, but I remember feeling like, okay, everybody who's had these miscarriages, they're getting pregnant right away, and I wasn't, and it wasn't just the loss of that baby, but it was the loss of not being able to conceive, it was the loss of a future baby that was just tearing me up. And here is how I know that God is still in it. Because to this day, we are eight weeks pregnant right now. <laughs> I knew I was going to be a snotty mess. <laughs> and, thank you. And <clears throat> it was really hard for me to celebrate. In fact, I don't think I've even celebrated at all. Um... God is still in it. And when I say that us getting pregnant was a complete miracle, men, I will not gross you out with the anatomy of a woman body, but it shouldn't have happened. I was on hormones, on hormones, on hormones. But God showed up. Why? Because he's the God who doesn't abandon us. Why? Because he's still in it with us. And I remember so strongly that out of anything, I feel like this week especially, I've realized who God is. In my season, he's the God who fought for me. He's the God who didn't abandon me. He is my strength, my savior, the God of second chances. He is my joy, my faith, my hope, my stability, he completes me. He is my life, my foundation, my redeemer. He is the God feeling what I feel. In the beginning, 
In Genesis, he was creation because he created all things. And in Revelation, he is our coming king. He is our coming king. He is our coming king. Let's stand up this morning, guys. God is coming, and he's our coming king. And to me, he is my miracle-working God.